everyone, and welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. Our guest today is the outstanding Jared Tingle, co-founder and managing partner of Harlem Capital, an early-stage, diversity-focused venture capital firm that was founded in 2015 with a specific mission to fundamentally change the face of entrepreneurship. Jared and team now manage a 174 million portfolio comprised of 61% Black or Latino-led companies and 43% female-only-led companies. Harlem Capital aims to invest in 1,000 diverse founders over the next 30 years. Jared is also a proud alum of our amazing Wharton School. In this episode, we discuss Jared's background and how him and his co-founders raised Harlem Capital's initial fund while still in business school, the story behind Harlem Capital's very own Harvard Business School case, importance of backing founders that fundamentally can sell and are analytical, their fintech outlook, and why Jared is excited about the power of fintech to help grow and expand e-commerce, debunking the myth of the pipeline problem and why it's really just about giving people access and opportunities, why he's hopeful but not satisfied with the progress of the VC and tech industry as it relates to diversity, the biggest lesson he's learned as an investor, and just a whole lot more. Hope you enjoy this inspiring interview with Jared Tingle. Well, Jared, welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. And I should absolutely say welcome back home as we have yet another Wharton alum joining us. So, Jared, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm in New York City. The weather's getting better. You know, vaccines rolled out, rates are down. You know, life is getting back to normal. So I'm, I'm good. And business has been good the whole time. So no complaints there. Great. Great, Ed. Now, I'm, I'm excited to, to dive in, right? So, uh, Jared, before we get started and, and talk about Harlem Capital, maybe we can hear about you and about your story. Sure. So, I grew up in New Jersey, a little bit outside of Philadelphia. I went to a boarding school called Petty for high school. It was a really good experience, learned a ton, prepared me well for Penn. I uh, went to Penn for undergrad, actually closer to home for college than, than high school. So it was good to be like 15 minutes away from home. At Penn, I, I studied finance. I was in Wharton. I ran two clubs my junior year. I was leading Black Wharton, which is an undergraduate program for professional development. And I also was president of my fraternity. Learned a lot. I mean, honestly, like at Penn, I learned less in the class. I mean, obviously I, I, I learned in the classroom, but the things that stuck with me more were the group projects, you know, learning how to work with type A people, how to fit in with them, drive an outcome. Sometimes you lead, sometimes you sit in the back seat. And then also just learning how to work within organizations and through friends. So between group projects and extracurriculars, that's where like, I learned everything that, that really stuck with me after Penn. Um, after that, I went to Barclays. I worked in the TMT group where I did my junior internship, stayed there for two years. Then I went on to work at ICV Partners, which is a middle market private equity firm, Black-owned shop, which really was great for me. I had never worked in a predominantly Black environment before, and it opened my eyes to being able to run a firm as a person of color. From there, we actually started Harlem Capital uh, four months into the private equity job. My Q-mate and friend became my business partner. 
we started out just investing for fun as angels. Over a few years, we took it more seriously, developed a strategy, went to Harvard Business School two years after I started in private equity. So managing a lot all at once between applying to school, doing my job, and running the fund as an angel. First year came around, and instead of doing an internship, decided to, to try to raise a fund. It was not easy, but it felt like the right thing to do, just given options on the table. And fortunately, it worked out fine. I mean, we raised $12.5 million, our second year of business school, and then closed the remainder of our $40 million fund between May of 2019 and November of 2019. So that's my story in a nutshell. You know, with Harlem Capital, we're a seed stage VC fund focused on investing in women and people of color, U.S. focused. We had a $40 million fund one. We just closed our fund two of $134 million. Out of our fund one, we've made 23 investments so far. Uh, we're happy to say that 91% of them are either led by women or people of color. And we're, we're just getting started. We're really excited about the journey. No, that's uh, super exciting. And, and there's a lot to unpack there. I, I want, I want point did you realize that you wanted to do this full time right at what point did you envision okay i'm gonna take this from angel to actually raising money and and launching a it's a good question we when we started out as an angel syndicate we did not necessarily anticipate becoming a fund we were just friends investing money we wanted to learn about vc and tech we wanted to invest, hopefully return the money, we wanted to be active investors, but everything else, you know, kind of came and found us. We didn't have diversity as a strategy to start out, uh, but we did realize that we had people of color, women in our network who were starting great companies, had good traction, but had a tougher time getting money. We got a lot of visibility and attention um, when we were getting started. I don't really know why, maybe it's because there's so few diverse investors, uh, but that really just helped push us. and. It became clear that founders liked us, that other VCs liked us, and then we had to prove that you know we could actually pick good investments. And then once we started to feel confident in that, it was could we actually raise money? Uh, another thing that kind of pushed us in this direction was at the private equity firm, you know, diverse ran, but ultimately like none of our portfolio companies had diverse leadership. We had one company that had a woman CEO; the rest were white men, and you know she had a pretty limited tenure too. And we realized that private equity and venture capital were, were amazing wealth creation tools that people of color just didn't have access to. And you know, there's a lot of inequality in this country, but the private markets for investment shouldn't be one of them. And there's just so much opportunity to build wealth, you know, hire people that are diverse, but also reinvest in communities. And we're like, hey, if we're able to start upstream, maybe we'll get to a point where you could actually have a bio strategy focus on diverse people because that just doesn't exist. You know, if you can't get capital in the beginning, how could you create a $10 million EBITDA company um, at scale? So uh, that's kind of what, what pushed us. And, you know, we got enough positive feedback and enough help that pushed us along on our journey. And so you, you mentioned that you guys got a, a lot of media attention. And I remember reading and, and seeing some of those publications. But you also have a strong public research arm. You've put out some good content. Right. Was this a conscious decision to build sort of like a, a strong public relations arm? We built the plane in the air, for sure. Um, we were organized and we had agendas, but like the long-term strategy did not entail any of the things that you mentioned. It was like, hey, can we find good investments? And can we go about our day? Like that's really all, all it was. 
one thing that helped is that we had an influencer as a co-founder on our team, Brandon Bryant, who built a, a pretty good following. I think at the time he had 150,000 followers across his platforms, particularly on Instagram. And he just knew how to tell a story, how to take pictures, how to package things. And so that definitely rubbed off on us. And you know, we just paid attention. We, we were millennials, so we were social media native. So we all had our, our profiles. Using that for business was kind of new. Um, not a lot of firms did that, particularly not a lot of CSAs firms. So one thing that we did do was you know, we paid attention. Eventually, there were some lists around diverse investors. We wanted to be on the list. One of our partners you know, sent an, an email to Black Enterprise because we didn't end up on like the 10 VCs needed to meet. Eventually, they did a whole profile on us just exclusively. From there, we got Forbes uh, about, I guess, two months later. Uh, this is all in, in early 2018. And from there, it's kind of off to the races. Like once you get good coverage, it's like a positive feedback loop. And as long as you're doing things that are interesting, it helps. We personified our brand. So one thing we did do is like we took pictures. We were always pretty clear about what we looked like. You know, we were, were young, smiling faces, people of color that I think the market liked. And because of what we were doing, it was interesting. It's like we're not just being another VC firm. We have a differentiated strategy. And it seemed like the market you know, liked that a lot. On the research side, that was more about a necessity. We would love to just take research that other people have done and use it to support our strategy. But what we found was that there are preconceived notions that people of color women just didn't have success in startups or, or raising VC. And we just couldn't find any data to show like how much money they've raised, how to compare outcomes, like none of that. So the first thing we want to do is like actually just find Black Latino founders that have raised VC funding over a million dollars. Crunchbase didn't track it. PitchBooks didn't track it. You know, now Crunchbase does after George Floyd and everything, but there was a, a dearth of information, so we had to create our own. Uh, and from there, we realized that it was helpful. You know, we learned from it, the market learned from it, and it could be just a way to can reinforce what we're doing, but also just educate, educate folks. And now I think we still have one of the largest reports that are, are done uh, on this topic. So you, you, know, you mentioned you're obviously you're all millennials, you're digitally native, you all have uh, active social media profiles. But you've also been featured on some very traditional uh, mediums, and that's I'm referring specifically to a Harvard Business School case that was written specifically about you, which is, I think, quite rare. That I'm not sure if you were still students or graduating students, but you know, it's definitely rare to to have a case written about you at that point. So, what's the story behind that? We barely graduated before the the case was written. <laughs> I think it came out in July or August of 2019. Uh, I mean, right place, right time. And, I, you know, we work hard and everything, but honestly, it's about knowing the right people at the right time. So I had a professor who taught a course called Reimagining Capitalism. I loved it, had a great time in it. We had a good relationship. And I think he approached me saying, hey, I love what you guys are doing. Would you, would you want a case? And I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> no question. Uh, so we started writing it. Either during school or right after we started hitting the ground running and we were doing some cool stuff at the time and we got it published pretty quickly. So that's really all that that was about. You know, we wanted to do a case, doing it sooner is great. We actually had another case last year done on one of our portfolio companies called Cash Drop. And so we were featured in that case as well. So that, that's really all there was to it. Uh, but we think it's a great opportunity to be in the curriculum, you know, have people use your story as a way to learn about you know, different ways to approach business, um, you know, potentially motivate them, 
potentially have them ask the hard questions to us and, and hopefully help the next generation of business leaders you know, grow and develop. So you, you mentioned Cashrub. Let's talk a bit about your portfolio companies and your, your investing approach, right? What would you say, first get started about some of the common traits of the entrepreneurs, the founders that you're supporting, right? And, and what do you hope to provide to them once you come in? Mm-hmm. So as I mentioned, we've done 23 investments out of our fund one. We don't have a sector focus. We're generalists. We are focused on backing diverse entrepreneurs. Like That's why we exist. That said, we want to make money, and it helps to have certain specializations as you realize they make sense. Like There was no natural fit because of our background, but once we learn about a sector, we get more excited about it. Several portfolio companies in general, like we have several in e-commerce, several in software, several in fintech. We've done a little bit of wellness as well. And really, the characteristics that we look for in the business is that you're in sectors that are in demand, that there's tailwinds of. You have big markets or markets that become big, and that you have strong entrepreneurs. And one thing that we found in fintech is that there are strong, diverse entrepreneurs. I think finance has been one of the areas that's been more open than others for diverse entrepreneurs starting companies. It's more merit-based. If you think about like investment banking or whatever, like there's been a longer history of people of color having success in those past, for at least for the last couple of decades. So that, that all helps. In terms of what we look for in entrepreneurs, I mean, we look for people that are visionary, that also can execute at a high level, that are great storytellers, that are analytical. Two things I like to look for, people that can sell and people that are analytical. I think if you can do those two things, then you can build a business, you can find good opportunities, you can win customers, you can hire the best employees, you can evangelize your brand and all these things that can then help a lot. Um, so that's what I look for in a nutshell. In terms of you know, what we bring to the table, it's a little bit non-traditional or we're honest about it. I mean, some firms say, hey, here's all the value add. You know, in, in practice, what firms do, you know, the median value add we like to say is zero. So I like to just be honest about what we're actually doing. So we help with fundraising. Uh, we're a community fund. So what we do is try to just bring in a lot of people around entrepreneurs to help them be successful. And there's not like a few funds we work with all the time. We just want to know everybody. So to that vein, our first value add is fundraising. So helping them close the existing round that we're investing in, but also helping them get to the next round of financing. And you can do that in large part through relationships. Uh, The second piece is financial analysis. So given that the other major partner and I both worked in banking and private equity, we can get really in the weeds with numbers. A lot of early stage companies don't have a strong financial function. Like they don't have a CFO. They may not even have a controller. And when it comes to cash flow, thinking about burn rate, thinking about networking capital, all these things, sometimes they just aren't a skill set of the founder. So we can come in and help them. And the last thing is media marketing. We're really good at telling our own story. We can help founders do the same. We have a consortium of eight agencies called the DMC who has given pro bono services to our companies over $3 million worth. And so that's super helpful for helping them, you know, sell, acquire customers, et cetera. Yeah, the, the media angle is, is huge, right? Particularly mm-hmm. as you're trying to compete with other startups, right? Uh, visibility is, is key. And specifically, um, fintech, right? I was looking at your portfolio, and, and if I'm not mistaken, it's about 20%, close to 20% that uh, is comprised of fintech companies, right? Do you have uh, either a thesis around fintech or some particular verticals of the industry that get you more excited these days? Yeah, as I mentioned, we're generalists. So, 
you know, we look at opportunities as they come up. I think the part of fintech that's been most exciting to us to date has been e-commerce. So e-commerce is still very underpenetrated. You know, it did take off a lot during COVID. But we think there's so much opportunity to sell things online. It, it touches so many sectors. And so we've seen great talent that is just trying to make that more efficient. And you could look at that as fintech or as e-commerce, like Cash Drop. They're enabling small and medium-sized businesses to sell online, either digital or physical goods, and just making that more streamlined, you know, being very entrepreneur-friendly. And so that could be considered fintech, it could be considered e-commerce, et cetera, but that's kind of how we look at it. There's some other companies like Kuru who are purely fintech. What they're doing is providing services to lenders, helping them take people that may be on the margin of being approved and helping them approve their, their stats and become credit-worthy. That's very exciting, and they kind of have a white label product they can use for either large institutions or small and medium sized ones. So those are some of the companies that stick out. I think going forward, you know, we love DeFi, like decentralized finance. We think it's changing the game. There's so much inefficiency and red tape and bureaucracy in financial services, and it's such a huge, important industry. And now what I've what I've seen is that you know people that would go into traditional firms are learning about the blockchain. They're learning how to create their own. I think there's so much innovation and so much opportunity and so much great incentives to do so, and a lot of capital as well. So that's the area we've been paying attention to. We haven't done anything in this space yet, but it's an area we're watching very, very closely and are excited to jump on. Amazing, amazing. Um, I wanted to ask you, Jared, about something that has always has always caught my eye about Harlem Capital, and it's the fact that you have very large intern classes, right? You you provide a lot of opportunity to people hoping to break into the industry. And also you've recently launched, I believe it's an angel program cohort, right? So I'm, I'm curious as to why go in this direction, right? What motivates you to start these initiatives? Because it does take a lot of time to manage all of these programs, right? Mm. As I mentioned, we're a community fund and we just want to bring people around. So we're very mission focused. I actually didn't mention our mission today but our mission is to invest in a thousand diverse entrepreneurs over the next 30 years. And we think there's really three aspects of this problem. You know, one is having capital to invest in these entrepreneurs. So having diverse GPs that can do that, uh, that's us. That's our core, number one. Number two is helping to create opportunities for people of color in DC. So helping them to go to other firms, start their own firms, that's number two. And that's what we're doing through our intern program. So there's tons of qualified talent. There is no pipeline problem at all. It's really just about people having opportunities. And the thing you first need is experience. And there's so much more demand and supply that getting that first gig is pretty hard. So what we do is we have an intern program. It's part-time, it's remote. We do it about three times a year with about six interns per class. And they may be a senior in college. They may be an MBA. They may be someone who's working full-time that's working for us part-time. But all these people just want to learn about VUC. And we've had pretty good success. We've had 58 interns so far. 17 of them have went to work into finance, or sorry, not finance, uh, either VC or investing roles in private equity firms. We've actually hired three of those 17. So it's been an amazingly successful program. Um, and then on the angel side, there's still gaps to the early stage for entrepreneurs of color that are trying to start businesses. So there's a wealth gap. So they probably don't, between them and their friends and family, don't have as much. They're very scrappy. They still get it done. But there still is a gap of angel investment that's needed sometimes to help companies 
raise money, but also just develop the operational capacities and best practice from their network. And what we try to do is find people that you know, have the capacity, have the resumes, have the, the insight and desire to do it, but may not have the playbooks, may not have you know, the time necessarily to do all this from scratch. So this is our first class of angels. Uh, it's been about a six-week program. Uh, these are all people that you know maybe five plus years uh, working in tech, uh, but were eager to learn, and it's been tremendously helpful. So our, our hope is that they go, they invest alongside us in deals, they they invest in companies that are too early for us, and then we just help create more diverse investors. I mean, I mentioned three things that are important to help the market grow, and I guess the third is just being visible. You can't be what you don't see. We need diverse entrepreneurs and diverse investors to know that you can be successful. And so one thing we try to do is be very visible, share information, and just make it that much easier for those people that want to enter the market. I think in a few years, you're going to have an amazing army of alumni that, that went through one of these programs. So. That's the goal. That's the goal. You know, they'll, they'll run companies, they'll invest alongside us, they'll be our LPs, our limited partners to invest in our fund. Like, so many ways for this, for this to go. Uh, we're very excited about all of it. Yeah, and then speaking of LPs, I know that's also an important part for you because you you've actually secured some some pretty big LPs. I was wondering, uh, you know, maybe talk about about that fundraising journey. Mm-hmm. So yeah, fundraising has been one of our strengths so far. Um, you know, knock on wood, we continue to have success there. But it was not easy starting out. Um, we went to people that were close to us. We went to friends, former colleagues, and it was very hard. I went to professors, that was really tough. Uh, one thing that happened though was we met uh, some really powerful and really well-known private equity general partners who kind of took us under their wing and were our first early checks. And not only did they invest in us, but they said, hey, you can talk about us when you, you raise money, which just added a lot of credibility. We stumbled upon TPG early on in our fundraising journey. They became our anchor investor. They made a strategic investment in our management company, in our firm rather, and then they just helped us make introductions. So that was really the turning point. Now with our fund one, we ended up with six institutions and then two endowments, a pension fund, two foundations, and TPG, which was huge for a first-time fund. For fund two, we didn't disclose our LPs, but we had a lot of people come back. We had you know, a couple of corporations like Apple, PayPal, Bank of America, who supported us publicly and who are great name brands to have around you. Uh, we've had a lot of success with institutions, so all that's been good, and we're pretty excited about, you know, having success, you know, making them money, and just having more capital to deploy in these diverse entrepreneurs. Yeah, yeah, and, and now for all the success and progress you, you're making, there's a there's a whole ecosystem outside, right? As you watch the evolution of the tech and VC space. Are you, are you satisfied with the progress you're seeing specifically when it comes to diversity numbers? No, <laughs> not, not, not at all. I mean, I'm happy about the diversity of our portfolio and I'm happy about seeing more diverse GPs having success raising money. Ultimately, I think that's the most important thing. We need more diverse check writers, more diverse VC firms that are motivated and excited about backing diverse entrepreneurs. I think it's, going to be very tough for the you know kind of old guard Silicon Valley firms to really change course. There are small partnerships in terms of headcount. It's a parallel model where a few companies generate all your returns. 
And even if you hire, you know, one, two diverse partners, it's not going to change the ethos of your firm. And so we really think you need new entrants that are successful to, to really make a difference here. We are seeing some diverse entrepreneurs have more success. They are raising bigger rounds, doing it more quickly. But if you still look at the aggregate stats, the percentage of all funding still is hovering around 2% for Black Latinx entrepreneurs and around the same percentage for women, regardless of race. So those aren't great stats at all. It's really weighted for bigger rounds that are later stage that you know we still haven't seen a ton of from diverse entrepreneurs. But we know they exist. We know they can be very successful. And it's only, you know, it's been less than a decade that Black Latino entrepreneurs have really raised VC funding. And so it's going to take time. It takes seven to 10 years. So we started to see that that really start to pick up in 2014. And it's going to take time for that to cycle through. I mean, we do have Compass, the IPO led by a Black male founder. We have, you know, Calendly led by a Black male founder who raised at a $3 billion valuation. We have Silibach Health led by a Black woman founder who's, you know, a unicorn. And so they are coming. Uh, but we're seeing a lot more strides to see in, in Series A stage. So we're not happy with the progress. A lot more needs to be done, but we are seeing some progress, which is better than no progress. Yeah, and I'm I'm with you on the fact that we need more GPs, more investors who are diverse, right? So you know, hopefully that changes faster than it has now. After after a few years of you know being an investor and interacting with hundreds, if not thousands of entrepreneurs at this point, what would you say is the biggest lesson you've learned so far? The biggest lesson is just reputation is everything. Uh, you know, investing is a people's business. And it's really important that you keep that in mind at all times. So when it comes to sourcing opportunities, our best ones have came from people that we know in our network. Um, and so having relationships with them has been so valuable. With founders, you know, a lot of what they pick VCs not just based on brand name, but who they like, uh, who they feel comfortable with, who they want to be on a 10-year journey, you know, almost like a marriage with. You know, that's very important. And then what we found is that the best founders will, will do references. And so we have to do right by our founders at all times, have them love us, have them champion us. And that helps to lead to more opportunities, helps to win. You know, right now, we're, we're less focused on sourcing great opportunities because we're sourcing great opportunities already. It's more about, can we win? Uh, and can we compete? And can we get our allocation? And all that is based on how people think about you and what they say about you. So those are what we're focused on. And that's been the biggest lesson I've learned so far. And what's next? What, how about the, the next few years, right? How, how do you envision the, the road ahead for, for you and for Harlem Capital? So we closed our second fund in, in March. So we're excited to start deploying that this summer. You know, we're going to be raising every few years. So that's going to be a, a big part of us. You know, we're, we're hiring. So we were able to successfully promote all of our team in March as well. So we had a venture partner who became a partner. We had two senior associates who became principal. We hired a new senior associate. Half our team is women. We're very excited about, and everybody's performing well. We're actually hiring a platform, a community manager right now. We're in that process. We've, we've closed applications. We're just getting through the funnel. And that person is going to help us double down on our strengths. Uh, leverage our social media well, leverage our content strategy but then also help us do more in-person events and then offline events to, to can get back to, to what we, we miss and just bring people together. So that's the journey ahead. You know, we want to invest in great companies, generate returns. We're in a stage right where our companies are starting to raise Series A's and Series B's. And so we want them to get to that next stage. We call it graduating from high school to college. And that's such a huge, important part to their, their journey. And so we want them to perform 
on economic front, but we also want them to successfully raise capital. So that's going to be a big focus for us for the next year or two. Jared, before we let you go, one question we'd love to ask is you know, to hear about more of your personal side, right? And maybe you can tell us uh, about some of those hobbies that you love. I love weightlifting. Uh, that, that's been a thing of mine since high school. And, you know, it's been a little tougher with COVID. You know, I have some weights at home that I ordered, so I'm still trying to get in. I miss the gym, though, so hopefully when it's slightly safer, I'll, I'll get back into that. I love reading. Not too much fiction. It's more about, like, professional development. I like to get utility out of it. You know, how can I improve as a person? How can I improve my business? How can I improve my mindset? My favorite book has been Seven Habits of High Successful People. That changed my life. I read it on a plane, you know, on a work trip, and I'm like, wow, I can get so much more out of my day. And ever since then, I've just been like supercharged with a sense of urgency to, to get things done. Watch a little TV. I mean, I wasn't a big TV watcher. COVID definitely kept me home more. And so I <laughs> started watching some more, more Netflix and HBO when I have some time just to relax and trying to get through it. And it's been a pretty good way to decompress with all the stuff I have going on. Yeah, I think a lot of people were watching more TV. During the first months of COVID, we had a dip in our podcast listenership because people were just watching TV. They no one went to listen to anything. Uh, it's since recovered. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm in a sci-fi and action, and there's a ton of it. And as soon as I get through one season, I see another thing. So I've been, been getting on the background. Like Usually when I'm eating lunch or dinner or something like that, I like to keep, keep it going. Well... Jared, I, I cannot thank you enough for joining us. Uh, really, you know, you're an inspiration to many, myself included. So wish you all the success going forward. I, I can't wait to see where you take uh, Harlem Capital. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just excited to have you on the show. So thank you again for joining. Thanks for having me. It was great to talk, Miguel. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and the rest of social media at Wharton Fintech. You will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. We also want to extend a special thank you to our show editor, Rafael Ostria. Signing off, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. 